The business value of open source has been proven. Open source companies can quickly scale, meet customer needs, and improve customer loyalty. GitLab is one of today's leading open source companies with a business model that has attracted more than 100,000 customers and the respect of the developer community. GitLab has a stake in the development of open core business models, but there are challenges. Large cloud providers may offer services based upon open source projects that marginalize the technologies developed by the open source provider who's just trying to keep a software company going. It's complicated, messy, and is leading to challenges that clearly affect the largest cloud service providers themselves. In this first episode of the Newstack's newly relaunched At Scale, we talked to GitLab CEO and co-founder Sid Sabrandi about how GitLab is meeting this challenge to its core business. This is Sid at the recent Open Source Leadership Summit discussing the challenges they face. An Elasticsearch is an open core model. They have both proprietary code and open source code. And what Amazon did is they forked and commoditized that. So they offered an alternative distribution. And in that distribution, they took many of the features that people pay Elasticsearch money for, like encryption, and they made that open source. They went directly after the value that people pay Elasticsearch for. I think this is a very interesting development, and we're going to see how this plays out. But it's clear that commercial open source companies are now vulnerable to this fork and commoditize by the hyperclouds. Sid is referring here to Amazon Web Services, the big giant of cloud services which denies they forked it at all. But the move is viewed very much otherwise in the community. AWS made a similar move last year with the Java OpenJDK, releasing its own version called Coretto that offered long-term support beyond Oracle's own. So what can open source companies do? How can they avoid being forked and commoditized? It's a central question in how companies can continue to scale with open source. This discussion with GitLab offers up a glimpse into how one company is handling it. I'm here with Sid Sobrandi. He's the CEO of GitLab and also the founder. Sid, I want to chat with you today because this is the beginning of season two of our show at scale, and we're excited to work with GitLab on this project, so thank you very much. So I had this one thought. There's this discussion about open source, commercial open source software. What is it? What's GitLab's take on that? And how does it speak to your history and your roots? Yeah, so commercial open source software companies are companies that uh, are the steward of an open source project, but are also building a business around it. Most of them tend to be venture-backed like us. So on one hand, they want to see the open source software grow. On the other hand, they also need to get to a liquidity event. There's so much tooling to, to integrate with. And one of the observations that we've found is one of the observations that we've discovered is that what's coming, what's coming around is really just the continual evolution of how do you do build applications and how do you do it really 
efficiently? How do you how are you really smart about it? Really, yeah, so it means more testing, more testing, more testing, and different tools yeah. for that. Yeah. Oh, that's where we come in. A lot of companies have like fifty different DevOps tools they yeah. use today, all the way from planning what you're going to do to rolling it out and monitoring yeah. it, and they build their own custom tool chain to do that. But at a significant scale, you have between 50 and 100 people trying to integrate all of that. And we think that's a that's a undifferentiated heavy lifting. That, that shouldn't be one company doing that. We should collaborate on that. And GitLab is used by over 100,000 companies, and it has all those things. You can plan roadmaps. You can do feature flags. You can package it up. You can monitor it. You can secure and defend it all in a single application. So now we're at this... We're at this interesting point, aren't we, in 2019, where there's more open source software companies. There's more successful ones. I think we were talking about HashiCorp earlier as one yep. example of that. And then there's these hybrid cloud service providers out there who they, I know that's how you describe them. How do you think about this landscape right now? Then I'd like to get into some specific questions about it. What's your thought? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, so we're seeing that open source software is winning. Even the hyperclouds are like embracing it. They used to have proprietary offer offerings, but now they have to offer like Kafka as a service because their customers are demanding open source software. So I think that's a very exciting development. Kubernetes is winning. All the open source offerings are winning. But also what we're seeing is that the hyperclouds want to offer more open source for free to their customers, um, which makes sense. But uh, uh, that is, that is going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. And those waters are now muddied, and now it puts the developer community in a place where they are not trustful. Maybe, perhaps, you know, that are there's existential factors here that are in consideration. And they then lined up Netflix, and they lined up uh, Microsoft behind them, and essentially came out what Steve O'Grady calls as a fork. What do you think? It's Amazon doing a fork and commoditize of open source. So they fork an open source, open core project, and then the proprietary features that used to be um, uh, had the lifeblood of the commercial open source company, they are now open sourcing. And I think that's great for their customers, that's great for users, and that's great for open source. But it's going to be interesting to see us as commercial open source software companies, how we deal with this. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the options? Yeah, I think there's some things you can do to make software more resistant to this fork and commoditize. And some of the things uh, we're, f we're doing um, is um, making doing buyer-based open core. So where we base our subscriptions not so much on the technology, but about who is interested in that. And if a feature is aimed at executives, we put it in a pay plan. Well, if it's aimed at an individual contributor, it's uh, open source. Uh, there's a bit more to that. Um, so that, but but we think that's uh, that's a good way to deal with the problem. But I haven't made up our mind yet. We're we're we're, we're kind of in a wait and see approach. Maybe we switch to uh, a non-compete license in the future too. But we haven't taken that decision, and uh, so far. Um, we, we like the, the clarity that, that open core uh, with an open source license uh, gives our customers so far. So then, then where does that leave Apache 2 licensing you know, for a company like GitLab? Yeah, so we're under the MIT license. 
which for the purpose of this discussion can yeah. probably be equated to the Apache 2 right. license. I think it's a beautiful thing, like these, these very open licenses like MIT and Apache allow every, everyone to do what they want. And, and that freedom, I think, is at the core of open source. But it's, it's interesting, like I, I can imagine, I, I understand why companies like Elastic and Redis Labs and MongoDB, they started adding these non-compete licenses that said, look, it's open and free for everyone except if you compete with our SaaS service. There's something to be said for that. There's also a disadvantage that it makes it harder to use for companies. There's more legal uncertainty. And in the end, open source is also that if you don't like the offering of someone, you can take, take the code and go elsewhere. And, and that's, that's then no longer possible. When you start talking to this for, you know, with, with other people who I expect a lot of them were with venture-backed open source software companies, what were the common consensus? That you, what was the common consensus you found? Yeah, I think that um, this so-called open core model is the model that works. Um, it is so that some other companies are betting heavily on their SaaS, their software as a service, while we are more heavy on the self-managed model. And I expected people to kind of start going to SaaS more, but that, that transformation have, hasn't happened yet for DevOps tooling, also because there's so much other tooling to integrate with. So is that your really idea then is to kind of ingest these open source projects necessarily and then build your platform from those open source projects you're ingesting? Yeah, exactly. I think there needs to be a standardization of continuous uh, delivery. Like every company is right now is kind of creating their own custom tool chain. And that's just a, a burden that, that shouldn't be there. With GitLab today, we already offer a solution where everything is integrated all the way from planning to creating to packaging to monitoring. Uh, we think that's a great solution, but we, we want to be open to standards that rise up to the industry. For example, Prometheus was a great monitoring solution. It got adopted and we integrated it into GitLab. And we'll, we will not hesitate to integrate anything else that comes up as, as a great standard. Just give us a little background on yourself and like, how did GitLab come to be? Yeah, so GitLab was started by my co-founder, Dimitri, in 2011. And uh, he built it because he needed it, it himself. He was uh, in the Ukraine working for a large uh, software company. And uh, he was living in a house there. He didn't have streaming water. Every morning he got up, went to the well, and, and got some buckets of water. But he had a bigger problem in his life, and that was they didn't have any good collaboration software at work. Mm. So he said, I'm going to fix this. And they didn't have any money for it. Um, so he said, well, I'll just make it myself. So he went out and created GitLab. And within a year, 300 people joined the project. Wow. How did you meet him? Um, I saw it on Hacker News. Someone posted GitLab to Hacker News. And I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. Something you collaborate with, that that's also something you can contribute back to. What year was that? That was, 20, uh, that was a year later, 2012. Uh -huh. And I said, you know what? Um, GitLab is only available for download, but SaaS is the future. Um, so I'm going to start GitLab.com, and I, uh, I put up a beta for people to, uh, to sign up to. And it didn't trend, so I was quite disappointed and went uh, downstairs to bake pancakes. And then I checked my phone one last time, and there it was on the homepage. So I, I asked my uh, now wife to finish up the pancakes. I went upstairs, and I sat there eating pancakes and answering questions the entire night. Pancakes! How wonderful. What a wonderful story. 
That's really neat, like how things can actually just kind of like, and from that point on, it's been kind of a race, hasn't it? Yeah, so all these people signed up for the beta. Uh, I, I started it, uh, I, I gave them access, but it turned out to be really hard to monetize the .com. But at the same time, we had all these people that were using the self-managed instances that were running it themselves and asking for more features. And then at some point, Dimitri tweeted, I want to work on GitLab full-time, just out to the entire world. So I put one-on-one -on -one together. I said, Dimitri, you're going to help these really huge companies that are already running GitLab make their features, and we're going to charge for that. CEO Sid Sobrandi describes many different business models that GitLab tried before arriving at an open core model that he says makes them less vulnerable to commoditization. It started with ice cream money, individual donations to their open source projects, so $7 a month or enough for the project maintainer, Dimitri, to buy ice cream with his wife. The most they ever raised to fund the open source project in a single drive was $1,000. Then they switched to a consultancy, then pay per feature. They tried or considered eight different business models before arriving at open core. Here's how he describes it. We kind of did it like everything we do at GitLab. We stumbled along. Uh, we call that iteration. Thanks for listening to this first episode of season two of the New Stack at Scale. Stay tuned for more discussions about the software that runs the internet and why open source is by many viewed as the key to it all. This episode was sponsored by GitLab. GitLab is a single application for the entire software development lifecycle. From the project planning and source code management to CICD, monitoring, and security, GitLab helps enterprises deliver software to market at new speeds. As always, thanks for listening, and please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcast feed.